Day number five, Brachas, Vav Amadalot. Fourth line from the top. Tani, we learn a Brice. Abman Yaman, Abman Yaman says, If the eye was able to see the demons, we wouldn't be able to uh, withstand it. They're much more than us. The Kaimelon and this, they, they surround us, standing around like a kiss, like a, like a, a ridge surrounds the mound that you, that you grow, uh, the, the vine on, and then around it you have the ridge, so you water it, so we're surrounded. Every one of us, Minan, has Alpha Mismala, a thousand demons on our left side, and 10,000 on the right. When they used to come to Shul and Shabbos to learn, he used to the Shabbos and the rabbi would give the drasha, the kala. So even though people were sitting comfortably, yet you felt squeezed. Why were you? Why did you felt squeezed? It was really from from all these demons. And the uh, knees that feel tired, minayu also comes from it. Because all these demons, honey, money, the rabbanon, and the clothes of the rabbis, the balu, that are worn out. Why are they worn out? The rabbis don't work. They're sitting and learning, and yet the clothes wear out so quickly. It's mechufia they do. It's from the rubbing of these of these demons. Honey, kare dimenakvin, dimenakvin, and the and the feet that 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 nak also minayo also comes from it. Hi, man, the boy lemedel. If someone wants to, wants to see to know them, kare dimenakvin. I guess your feet hurt, or I don't know. Yeah, they can hurt. What does the English say? You feel, you feel something knocking against your foot, maybe? I don't know. Those feet are knocked. Hi, man, the boy, the maid, if someone wants to know them, lies a kitman. You should bring ashes near put it. And these ashes, which are ground very fine, like fine dust, you should put it around his bed. But after in the morning, you'll see he carried the tarnagul. That they have the feet of demons. And it used to say that Hitler never took off his boots. He was probably a demon, and he, uh, he had the feet, the feet of a roost. Hi, man, the boy. Hi, man, the boy. If you want to see these demons. Placenta of a black cat. Black cat. The daughter of a black cat. She is the first child of her mother, whose mother, and the mother is also the first child of her mother. And you should burn it and and then to grind the ash. And to fill his eyes. Just put it on your eyes. And you'll see it. And you'll be able to see the demons. And you should put these ash in a metal a metal jar because they they won't be able to control it to access it and to seal it the also with a metal a metal seal otherwise the demons will steal it from you close your mouth when you see them you shouldn't be be damaged by them. Shouldn't be hurt by them. Harmony. People did this a little bit. Oh, so Rabbi Barabaya Abed Hachi. Rabbi Barabaya paid paid attention and did exactly this. The Itzik and he got hurt. 
but it's better not to know. It's better not to see. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. And today, today, the demon, today, many demons come in human forms, to our right and to our left. Yeah. You don't have, you don't have to do anything special to see it. Is there a way to unsee them? <laughs> <laughs> How did we get into this brisa from the Gemara we were learning? It seems what's the Abba Minyamin. Abba Since he says a name, whenever he says a name, he doesn't say too too, too many things. We the last brisa we learned yesterday, the last piece was from Abba Minyamin. So whenever he says a name and there's not much in his name in the whole shas, he says everything he said already. That's also why in the, a few days ago we spoke about not speaking Torah or speaking in front of the, ma- the mace because... Correct, correct. But because Rabbi Zerika, Zerika Barami, since he, he answered about the Mishmaizas, so therefore we said that also. Yeah. The rabbis had prayed had Hashem Shabbat Shalom and he was healed. Another thing Abba Ben Yaman said, The tefill of a person is only heard, only heard in the shul. And it says, to listen The place where you sing, the place that place is designated to sing Hashem's praises, the Davin, that's the place, in the basic Knesset, that's where a person, in other words, even if a person is davening alone, even if he's doing davening alone, you should daven in the shul. If you have a choice of davening alone or davening with a minion outside the shul, you should always daven with a minion. But it's a question of davening alone. You can daven at home or daven in the shul. Daven in the shul. Shul is a designated place. That's where Hashem listens to you daven. How do we know Shachar Baruch Hu Matzah basic lesson? How do we know that Hashem is found in the shul? It says, but Hashem stands, is standing, is Edo, we know, a congregation is ten. We know from the spies. How do we know that ten Jews daven? Hashem is with them. The Shechina is present. Wherever they daven, not only in the Shul. But again, Hashem is standing, whenever there's a congregation of ten. So a daskel means also a place which is designated for Hashem. That's where Hashem is found, the shul. But also a daskel, a congregation of ten Jews, Hashem is present. Three uh, Jews who are sitting down to render a verdict, have a court case, have a, have a court, they're running a court, three Jewish judges, the shechin is present. They're judging in the, in the presence of Hashem. It means Hashem is present. How do we know? Two Jews who sit and study The Shechina is present. Of course, it's different levels of Shechina. You can't compare the level of Shechina of three, the level of Shechina of two. But also, there's a revelation of Shechina. There's a presence felt of Hashem. It says, One, two, two God-fearing Jews speak to each other. Hashem could mean Hashem listens. Yakshiv also means that Hashem is, is, is waiting for them. Hashem is there. Hashem is waiting for them. It means He's present. He says, what does the verse continues and says, what does it mean? To those who think of His name, a person even thought about doing a mitzvah. And he was forced and he couldn't actually carry out his good intentions. Hashem will count it as if you've done it. A good thought, Hashem counts as if you do it. A negative thought, it does not count as if you've done it. Why? Because the essence of a Jew is good. So when you want to do something right, it's 100% genuine. Hashem, then there was external circumstances that, that didn't allow you to carry it out. So Hashem gives you the credit as if you've done it. When you think a negative thought, 
deep down inside you already regret it. Deep down inside your heart is not into it, so it's not genuine. So unless you do it, it doesn't count. But don't we say elsewhere that sometimes thought is worse than actually doing the action? Yes, a negative thought is worse because the harm that it does to you, because of this thoughts is a very fine Altareb and Tanya. Thought is a very, uh, is a garment, is very subtle, it's very <coughs> internal. So a negative thought has a very a negative impact on your neshama. But in terms of, of punishment, not punishment, in terms of a court, Hashem doesn't count it as if you've done. A very wise man talked about this subject. He said, how do you deal with thoughts? He said, thoughts, you have control of what comes into your mind, but you do have a control over which ones you choose to exactly. lock onto. Exactly. So knowing exactly. that, you, you can exactly. avoid that. Exactly. How do we know Shafila Echo Shriya Even one Jew is sitting alone and studying Toyota Shashini when Hashem is present, Shadamir says, Bahalamakim Shadashmi, every place that I come. That I allow you to mention my name, that you're mentioning my name, that I command you to mention my name, which is Torah. Torah is the name of Hashem, is filled with the name of Hashem. So a place where I tell you to study Torah, Ovey Hashem says, I will come to you and I will bless you. So Hashem is present. This is basically on the mission and ethics of our fathers. If the Pasuk says Hashem comes and is present even when one Jew studies alone, today me boy, surely when two Jews. What does two add to one? So the Gemara says, no, two is more powerful than one. One, Hashem comes to you. But by the Pasuk where he says, when two Jews meet together, two God-fearing Jews speak together, there it says, there it says in the Pasuk, It says, Hashem will write it down and record it. It will be recorded. One Jew studies alone, it won't be recorded. Two Jews study together, it's recorded. Wait a minute, it says in ethics of our fathers that everything that we do is recorded. All our sins, all everything. Surely the positive things that we do is recorded. Everything that we do in life is recorded. Yeah, but it's not the same. Here we're talking about it's recorded in your own personal file. Everything that you do, there's a file for you. But this is recorded in the general book. Two Jews sat together. Also, when you, also some say it means you're going to remember it better. Seif HaZikaren, when two Jews learn, study to get together, and each one sharpens the other, and each one challenges the other, you're much more likely to remember. Also, when two Jews come together, because you're going to clarify, so what they come up together is something that's memorable, something that, that's worthy of being recorded. We, can, we can't say that, I mean... When an individual learns Torah themselves, Talmud Torah connected Kulam, it's obviously being recorded. Yes, exactly. It says nothing to our fathers. All your deeds, and there it's talking about sin, how much more so a positive deed, surely. But that's recorded in your personal file. Here it's talking about a different type of recording. It's on a higher level. It that's says only here two. In, the, in the notes for Tosfat and Rashash that uh, when two people study, they're recorded in a book of all people. Right, not, not, not your personal file, yeah, but all different. people. All Jews. No, okay, yeah. Yeah. Then the Gemara continues. If that filu today, even two Jews come together, Hashem is present. Do you need to tell me that when three Jews study Torah together? The Gemara says, yes, because I would think a court case, it's, it, it, it's a civil action. They're coming to make peace between, between the, the two sides. It's not Torah. Hashem is not present. When the three judges, they're making a, a din based on the Torah. This is called studying Torah. So when three judges get together, they're truly studying Torah. They're applying the Torah to real life. So surely, so that's what the Pesach is coming to tell us, that Hashem is present. Three is a chazaka, right? Yeah. If three, you need to tell us the ten. 
By ten, the Shechina comes first. Plus of the three and two and one are the Yasfi. Only when you sit down to judge, then Hashem is present. But with the minion, when you have a minion, so it actually says it means before you get the minion, Hashem is already, Hashem anticipates and Hashem comes. The Rashba says, and this is really uh, the, Bal- the Alter Rebbe brings, brings in Tanya, in letter number 23, that he heard from the, from the Baal Shem Tev, that when 10 Jews get together, even if they're not studying Torah, the mere fact that 10 Jews are gathered together, they're sitting in that cafe, together. <laughs> There's such holiness that an angel would be totally burnt up and consumed. And that's the difference. That's what he means. That's what the Rashma says also. That, that's what the Gemara means. That's the difference between ten. When you have a minion Jews, even before you're doing anything holy, before you're doing anything holy, I'm not, I didn't start davening, I didn't start learning. The fact you have ten Jews gathered together, Hashem is already present. Because a minion reflects the Shekhinah. Ten Jews reflect God created the world with ten utterances. That's why you have a minion. A minion, that's why you can say Hashem's name. The whole Shekhinah is present. While every angel is just one little, reflects one aspect of Hashem. Ten Jews reflect and it reveals the whole entire Shekhinah. So that's what he means. That, so the, with ten is something entirely different. That's why he says it's so important to study ten Jews together. We have a minion there, I think. Right? Ten Jews studying together is so important. It's not only a minion for davening. The fact that ten Jews are studying together, and even if you don't do something holy, imagine ten Jews together, doing a mitzvah together, studying Torah together, it takes it to a whole different level. Could wow. be the other side, the flip okay, side, is okay. ten Maraglin. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see in the next page how this, this explanation of the Rajba and the Baal Shem Tev makes sense what we're going to learn on the other side. Whatever he practices, what he preaches, he tells us to put on tefillin. He also puts on tefillin. Shemer says, Hashem swears with his right hand, with his right hand, and with his and with his left hand. Be mino his right hand the Torah says clearly me mino eish das lomi the right on his right hand eish a fire his laws fire ubezroya was in his left hand that's tefillin tefillin he put on the left hand shenemar it says Hashem oiz lama yitin Hashem gives strength to his nation umeinayin how do we know that tefillin does how do we know it's referring to tefillin uza his strength his strength is tefillin and minayin shat tefillin oiz him nisol how do we know that tefillin this is the strength of the Jewish people. This is our strength. Let's see if it says, Because it says, All the nations of the world will see that Hashem is upon you and they'll be afraid of you. And Metanya, Rabbelezer Agadol, the great Rabbelezer. This is Rabbelezer, the first Tana, he's the first name that's mentioned in the Torah Shabbat The very first mission. Remember who was the Zeicher, who had the schools? The very first name to be mentioned is Rabbelezer, Rabbelezer Agadol. Says, These refer to the tefillin tefillin on the head, because the tefillin on, on the head. Rashi says because it has most of Hashem's name. You have the shin, and you have the knot in the back is the dalid. So two out of the three letters of shin dalid you they have in the tefillin. Uh, Taisus argues. He says he says no. There's no the the, the tefillin. The main tefillin is is the holiness of the tefillin is the boxes, not the strap. But he says because it's visible, it's sitting on top of your head. The hand fill-in could be covered up, could be concealed. You can put the, but the head, the head fill-in is revealed. Everyone sees it. It's a beautiful story with Alter Rebbe. 
when the Alter Rebbe was in prison, because he, he put on this tefillin, and all the guards started trembling. And he explained, so, so, so he said, because it says, it says, in, it says, this Gemara, that when you put on, when a, when a Jew puts on tefillin, tefillin shebedoish, the Goyim are afraid of you. So someone asked Alter Rebbe, well, I also put on tefillin. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody is trembling when I put on tefillin. So he says, the Gemara says, tefillin shebedoish, the tefillin that's in your head. It's not just you're putting on the tefillin mechanically, you're like a robot. When the tefillin is truly in your head, when you're fully identified with the tefillin, you're experiencing the tefillin, that, when you put on tefillin like that, then and that's where the Rebbe pushed. Right before the Six-Day War, the Rebbe came out with a massive campaign that get every Jew in the world to put on tefillin, because when Jews put on tefillin, that's how we help. It'll put fear, instill fear into our enemies. Okay. What does it say in Hashem's tefillin? We know what it says in our tefillin. There are actually four different parshias in our tefillin. But what's written in Hashem's tefillin? You know what it says in Hashem's tefillin? Look how great. Is there any nation on earth that's like the Jewish people? That's what's written in Hashem's tefillin. The Torah parchment that's written in Hashem's tefillin is the, the perverse in the Torah that says, who is like the Jewish people, Jewish nation? Hashem praises the Jewish people. And this is a praise for Hashem. Um, uh, in the Gemara says, "Yeah, it says, it says in Deuteronomy, as Hashem, in Parshas Nitzavim, as Hashem, and Marta Yoyim, Hashem hem Mircha Yoyim. We praise Hashem. Praises us. Hashem is proud of us, and and uh, he takes pride in us, and he praises us, and we praise Hashem. It's a love affair. We're singing Hashem's praises. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad. Hashem is singing our praises." Hashem says to the Jewish people, you, you made me chativa aches Chativa means like you chop off, you separate it. You made, you made, you turned it into something separate, apart, something special. So you made me something special in the world. You only worship me. And I, in turn, will also make you something special and unique in this world. You made me into something special in the world. You didn't proclaim that Hashem is one. Yes, that Hashem is alone and single and and uh, and uh, unique. So I will sing. I will praise you, and I will make you a separate something unique. There's no nation on earth like the Jewish people. One nation on earth, even though they live in this earth, and yet they have the power to bring unity into this world and to transform the earth into something godly and holy. Okay, so that's one verse. But the tefillin has four compartments. The four parshies. What's written in the other three parshies? Amalei, so he says, he quotes a whole list of tzukim. It says, who is, who is a great nation like the Jewish people? Praiseworthy are the Jewish people. Is there any God who tried to take his nation out from another nation like Hashem took us out of Egypt? And I will place you, you will be above, above all the other nations. Wait a minute, how many tzukim? He just quoted one, two, three, four, five psukim, in addition to the one he just said. Six, six parishes. The tefillin only has four compartments, not six compartments. Yachin officially tuva bati. Ella, the mother says, Ki migoy godl, migoy godl, damila dodi. Since these two verses are similar, they go into one parsha of Hashem's tefillin. 
Ashrech Yisrael, praiseworthy of the Jewish people, Mikamchok Yisrael, who are like the Jewish people, Bechad Beisel, that goes together in another compartment. Oyan Yisrael, Likim, goes Bechad Beisel, Sitchel, and you'll be above all the others, Bechad Beisel, and the Kulub, Ksivi Bedre, and this is in the Hetfilin, the Hetfilin is, is four compartments, but whatever is written in the Hetfilin, in four separate compartments, is written in the Armed Filin in one single, in one single compartment. So, so too in Hashem's Tfilin, so to speak, all these verses all are written together. Okay. Whoever comes to shul every day, and one morning he doesn't show up, one day he doesn't show up, Hashem asks, what's going on? I miss him. What happened? Hashem notices. Who is, who is amongst you a, a God-fearing person? Who went, uh, he, he's, he's went in dark paths, and it's not light, it's because he went to dark places. He was busy, he got busy, he, he didn't have time for Hashem. So he's going down dark, dark paths. And there's no light for him. If he's going to do a mitzvah, then he's excused. Then, then uh, his path will be illuminated. But if he went just for his own personal business, then, then his path will not be illuminated. But he has to earn a living. It's also a mitzvah. He has to take care of his family. He has to provide for his family. So he's busy with doing a mitzvah. But the pastor continues, he should have faith in Hashem. Find time to daven. You don't have time for Hashem. You don't have time to daven because you're busy worrying about who's, who's giving you a living in the first place. Hashem is giving you the living. studying Torah, you have to stop and pray. Exactly. Yeah. My time, Hashem, since he should have trusted in Hashem, he didn't trust. Hashem comes to Shul, he doesn't find 10 Jews. He gets angry. Why did I come and there's no ish? There's no tenth man. The tenth man never showed up. Nine Jews are waiting and the tenth man never showed up. And because of that, we're lacking a minion. Because Hashem is upset because a minion is a whole different level. It's not the same when you have one Jew, two Jews, three Jews, and the mission says nothing about our fathers, even five Jews. A minion takes it to a whole different level. When there's a minion, there's the full presence of the Shekhinah. So Hashem is angry. There's only nine Jews in Shul and that one Jew didn't show up and therefore the Shekhinah couldn't be manifest. So this is what the Rashba explains and this is how the Alter Rebbe from the heard from the Baal of the power of ten Jews getting together and why Hashem desires that and Hashem wants it and if it doesn't show up, the tenth Jew doesn't show up, Hashem gets angry. Whoever sets his place to Davin, the God of Abraham will be in his help, will help him. And when he dies, we're going to say, what a modest person he is, what a chassid he is. So we're talking about setting aside time, setting aside a place. Some say it means when you're davening at home. When you're davening at home, don't, don't just daven anywhere. Set a place that you're davening. This is the place that you're davening. So a, a steady place. In other words, you're taking your davening seriously. It's not something you're just doing chaplap and you're just doing it. You're taking it very seriously. Others say, no, even, even a shul, if there's two shuls in the city, set yourself a shul that you're davening in. Don't, don't one day daven here, another day daven there. This is my shul. Within the shul itself, you should also have a makam kavua. This is my place. 
this is the place that I sit. So it means you're taking the davening very seriously. <laughs> when KJ, after, their, after the fire rebuilt, the first sermon was about Makom Kavua because there was less seats in the shul. And the Chav was, as long as it's in the Dalai Amos, the same vicinity. <laughs> so, what? Well, I did say before about the, the, the difference between praying at home and in, in a shul and no, ideally you should pray in the shul, but if, if let's say you can't dab in the shul, you're dabbling at home, so in your home you should set aside a place. Whenever you're dabbling at home, you set aside a place, in your library, your place. This is the place that I dab in, so you're taking it seriously. So when you take your dabbling seriously, it means you're modest, because the way to dab, in other words, you, you want to dab in properly, and the way to dab in properly is you have to approach Hashem with modesty. So if you're modest, then you're like Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was modest, and your prayers will be answered. What did we say yesterday? Somebody dabbing by their bed, they had a set place to dab in. No, he asked. Oh, no, it says he would daven right as soon as he woke up in the morning. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't interrupt. He wouldn't do anything work before he woke, he daven, he woke up. And the first thing he did, he daven. How do we know? He's a student of Avram How do we know that Avram Avinu set aside a place to daven? A set place? It says, Avram woke up in the morning. When he was praying for Sodom and Gomorrah, the place that he stood before in the past, he had a set place where he would stand and daven in the morning prayer. Uh-huh. Stand up, it refers to davening. So, so therefore, he's like a student of Avram, and his prayer will be answered. Don't run. Don't rush for the door. When the davening is over, don't run for the Kiddush. <laughs> As if, thank God, you can't run away fast enough. Thank God, davening is over. You should be sad to leave the shul. You walk slowly. This is only when you're leaving shul. Shul. Run to go to shul. Run to shul. <laughs> we should run to know Hashem. What's he coming to tell us? Why in the world would I think? He says clearly, Rabchelbe said, in the name of Ravuna, someone who leaves the shul. He never said, if you, when you're going to shul, you shouldn't run. Psi Agasa, by the way, is like a, like, a, it's like a foot and a half, you know, when you really spread your legs, and mm-hmm. like you're walking very quickly in strides, uh, strides right? big strides. You, you have to walk slowly. So what's Rav, so the commentary say what 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 Abai is coming to tell us is when does Rav Rav Chalba in the name of Rav Huna say you're not allowed to leave Shul quickly if you're just leaving for the Kiddush you're just leaving to go about your daily business but if you're leaving Shul to run to do a mitzvah I'm running to a bris I'm running to do a mitzvah then you, even when you leave Shul you're allowed to run because I'm not running away from the Shul I'm running towards the mitzvah. I saw the rabbis running to hear the drasha to study Torah on Shabbos. I mean, I would say, it's like a chilol Shabbos. You're desecrating the Shabbos. Because it says in the Navi that Shabbos is a time in Toshav, Mishabbos, Raglecha, you have to give a rest to your feet. It's not a time to run. You don't exercise on Shabbos. You don't run. You don't jog on Shabbos. So I thought it's a chil Shabbos. Walk slowly. But when I heard what Rab Tanchum said in the name of Rashuah ben Levi, a person should always run to the Varalach of Afilu Shabbos. Because it says, You should go follow Hashem just like when a, a lion roars. When a lion roars, you're running for your life. <laughs> you run as fast as you can. 
Hashem. So the Pasuk says, that's how you run after Hashem. Run as if a lion is chasing you. Run as fast as you can. So if there's such a mitzvah to run, then even on Shabbos you're allowed to run. Regularly you're not allowed to run, but to run to Shul, to run to Fabring, and that you're allowed to tell a whole different story. And on Amir Hitna, so then I started also running. The reward for going to hear the sermon on Shabbos. Most people don't even retain the sermon. They remember the joke and the, but the sermon itself is Vatayra. They say the rabbi could repeat it twice in the same sermon because no one heard it the first time. So what's the reward? The reward is the running. The running, that's the reward. They're so eager to go learn Torah, that itself is the reward. Before Yom Tif, the rabbis would get together the, the, the students and teach them about the laws of the Yom Tif, you know, that time of the year. So what's the reward? The Dukha, the pushing. Everyone come and push. What's the reward of studying Savara? The main reward is from working hard, mental exertion, from trying to figure it out and trying to make sense of it. That's what you get the reward for. What's the reward for going to be Menachem Avel, to comfort the mourners? Just be silent. Don't say anything. People say the stupidest things when they come to be Menachem Avel people. Just, just be there. Don't open your mouth till he gives you permission to open your mouth. Just be present, just feel his pain, just cry with him. He doesn't need your wisdom, he doesn't need, you know, just, because just quiet, silence. Yeah. The reward of a fast day is the tzedakah. When the person fasted and he saved himself some nice money. Three meals he saved himself. <laughs> didn't have to, didn't have to, he saved money. No, the rabbis, they didn't want to keep that money. They used the money that they would have spent for the meals they gave away to tzedakah. After the, the fast day, you want to make sure the poor person also has a nice meal to break his fast. So they would take the money that they saved and they gave it, they gave it away to tzedakah. All these people are on fasting diets. It's beautiful. But take all the money that you saved and, and help, help a poor person with it and give it to tzedakah. Um, comes back a hundredfold. Then he says, the The main reward for someone who, who eulogizes is when you cause everyone to, to, to cry and you cause everyone to, to moan and to, to cry together. That's, that's what you get the reward. That's the main reward for the uh, eulogy. What's the main reward for going to a wedding, participating in a wedding? Millie. Say words that rejoice, that cause joy to the chasen and to the kala. Those words, in the olden days, we used to have uh, jokers who would, who would say, you know, make everyone laugh and joyful, whatever. No, merely saying things, saying things, or saying it. I saying things that, uh, that brings joy to the chasen and kala. Whoever davens. In the back of a shul, Nikra Rosh is called a wicked person. The evil ones go around. This is only said, If you're not facing the shul, Okay, this is... <laughs> i got to change my seat. This is a very, a very interesting piece of Gemara. There's, there's many different versions. Oh, exactly, what does it mean behind? So there's basically two opinions. Opposite opinions. And uh, it's, it's different versions of who says who and who says what, but basically it boils down to these two basic opinions. One opinion is, and this is going in those days, those days in Babylonia, 
which way were they facing? Which way, by us, the eastern wall is where the, the whole congregation faces east. In, in the Babylonia, where do they face? West. West, just like in the temple. The, the Hegel was in west, the Holy of Holies was west, and the entrance was east. So in the Babylonia, they were facing Israel, they were facing west. So the western wall was the back of the shul, the back wall. And the doors, the front of the shul, where the doors were, uh, the front of the shul was east. Now, what's called the back? So one opinion, the way we, the Rashi that we have, and, and, and Taisu's opinion is, our Taisu's here, Taisu says that the back means when you're back to the congregation. The congregation is facing, facing west. They're facing, they're facing where the Aaron is, the Ark is. So you are standing outside the shul and your back is turned to the congregation. So you have three, you struck out, three strikes and you're out. You're outside the shul while everyone else is inside the shul. Your back is to the shul and you're facing the exact opposite direction. <laughs> They're facing west and you're facing east. So you struck out, you're a rush. But again, you're outside, you're not in the shul. Outside, right. Yeah, outside. And, and that's why there's another opinion. That's his, his problem with this opinion. His problem with this opinion is, we'll see in a minute, because his problem is, if that's the case, even if you're inside the shul, if, you're, if the whole congregation is facing this way, and you turn around and dab in the other way, it, it should be also the same thing. Why, why only outside of a shul? It's not worse. You're actually in the shul. It's more chutzpahdik. That, that's the reasoning behind the opinion that follows. Other opinion says no. When you're inside the shul, even if you're facing the opposite direction, but if I'm inside the shul, I'm showing respect to the shul. Maybe I don't like everyone in the congregation, but the shul I'm showing respect to, so therefore you're not called a rasha. Of course, it's not ideal. You should face the same way that everyone is facing, but you wouldn't be called a rasha. But, but the, what's that, what was the question? Yeah, to the east. No, no, depends where. We, fa- we pray east because we, where we are, situated. We have to face Jerusalem. So when you're in Babylonia, facing Jerusalem is west. Where we are, we face east. So it dep- depends where you are. You know, in Europe, in America, we are, we're facing the opposite what about direction. Hawaii? Opposite direction. What about Hawaii? <laughs> no matter where they face, they, 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 they end up in Israel, I think. <laughs> they can face, they can, they're right in the center. They can, right face, the center. They, can right. face, they can face east or west. It doesn't matter. Right, yes. Um, so, so that's, that's this opinion. So you have three strikes here. Now, what if you're davening, according to this opinion, what if you're davening in the back of, in, in, in the, back of the wall of the shul? Like on the front, of, in, you know, on the other side of the shul. In front. And your back is to the shul, but you're facing the same direction as everyone else. So according to this opinion, it's not a problem. Because yes, my back is to the shul and I'm davening outside the shul, but I'm facing the same direction as everyone else. We're all facing west. We're all facing Jerusalem. So it's no problem. According, according to Rashi, according to Taitz, according to this opinion. But the other opinion says no. It says you can't learn this way because probably the question, like you said, if that's the case, why outside the shul? Inside the shul and you're facing the opposite of everyone else. It should also be called a rush. So he learns when he says the back of the shul, the back of the shul means the back of the wall of the shul, not the back of the door of the shul or the back of the congregants. You're facing the, but it means the back of the wall, of the back wall of the shul, the front wall of the shul. So you're standing outside the shul and you're facing west like everyone else, but the problem is your back is to the shul. That's the chutzpah. 
That's why you're turning your back to the show. Even though you're facing the right direction. And that's why but, but if you turn around and you're facing the show, even though you're outside the show, and you're facing the wrong direction, you're facing towards the show. But since you're, face, since you're facing, you're both facing the, the arc, therefore, then it's okay. So we have two opposite opinions. Because according to the first opinion, if you're davening behind the back wall, behind the wall, the front wall, not the wall with the doors, the wall with the arc. So according to Rashi, what's the proper way to daven in that case? Facing the same direction as, as the congregation. You're not allowed to turn around and face the shul. If you turn around and face the shul, it's no good. Because you're facing the opposite direction of the congregation. The congregation is facing west, facing Jerusalem, and you're facing the exact opposite direction. The proper way to do it is face the same direction as everyone else, even though your back is to the shul. According to the other opinion, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> If you're facing the same way as everyone else is facing, your back is towards the shul. It's absolutely prohibited. You're a dasha. You must turn around. And when you're turning around, since you're both facing the ark, even though from this side, from this angle, it doesn't matter. You're all facing in this, uh, the ark. Therefore, then it's okay. So therefore, what do we do? So the code of Jewish law says, a Jew should never daven behind the back wall of the shul, behind the ark. Because... You have to follow both opinions. According to one opinion, this way is no good. The other opinion, the other way is no good. But you could daven on towards the doors. Just make sure to face the same direction, even though you're outside the shul. But as long as your back is not to the shul and you're facing in the same direction as the congregation, then it's okay. Now the question is, what if you daven north and south? <laughs> if you daven north and south. So, if you face away from the shul, you can say that according to everyone, according to all opinions, it's no good. Why? Because A, you're davening outside the shul. B, your back is to the shul. You're turning your back to the wall of the shul. And C, you're not facing in the same direction as the congregation. Yes, I'm not opposite. It's not the opposite direction. When you're in front of the door and you turn around, you're facing the exact opposite of everyone else. Here, I'm turning, I'm turning right, I'm turning left, so it's not opposite. But still, when you have all three together, it's outside the shul, your back is to the shul, and you're not facing in the same direction as everyone else. Therefore, according to all opinions, that would be prohibited. What if, however, what if I'm facing perpendicular to the wall, alongside the wall? I'm not facing north or south, I'm, I'm standing on the side of the wall, and I'm facing west. I'm standing on the side of the northern wall, the southern wall facing west. Would that be kosher or not? So it depends. According to Rashi, yeah, because I'm facing in the same way as, as the congregation is facing. What's the problem? But according to the other opinion that when you daven behind the wall, you have to face the, the shul, you must face the shul. So to hear, since I'm outside the shul, I must face the shul. And that's why it says in the code of Jewish law, that if you're davening to the north or to the south, you should face the shul. So at least I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm facing the shul. 
So it's like, it's like all eyes are, are in the direction of the shul, even though it's not exactly the same direction as the congregation, because they're facing west and I'm facing north or south. But since I'm facing, my face is towards the shul. So then according to everyone, that will be okay. And that's the halach. Allah says, if you dive, and we're talking about a shul that's isolated, that's not, if, you, if you're in a home near a shul, none of this applies. We're talking about a shul that's isolated, and, and you're making a statement. I'm standing outside the shul, my back to the shul, or in the wrong direction. So that's the question. So the halacha says, to repeat, and by us, this is the Mizrahman. So, so, so let's talk about our case. This is facing Yerushalayim. The whole congregation is facing east. If you're davening, if this is a standalone shul, if you're standing outside this wall, you can't daven. Either, either you face this way, whether you face this way, or you face the opposite way, because according to, to each of the opinions, it disqualifies, according to Rashi's opinion, it disqualifies if you're facing this way, because you're going the opposite direction of the whole congregation. According to the other opinion, it disqualifies if you fa- face with your back towards the shul. That's a chutzpah. So, therefore, that's not an option. You can't daven outside of the eastern wall. However, the door, however, you can daven outside the shul as long as you're facing the congregation. The north and the south, the ideal is, Allah says, to, to, to make sure you're following both opinions, face, face the shul. Surely you're not allowed to face the opposite direction. That's prohibited according to all opinions. Even this direction, if you just follow the wall, if you just face east, it would be good according to one opinion, but according to the other opinion, it wouldn't be okay. You have to face the shul, you have to face the congregation. Even though you're not in the same direction as the congregation, but at least your face is towards the shul. So, and that's what Allah says. To, to, to be strict, you, that's the way you should die. But if you're inside the shul, and you face away, you're not called a rush. That's the Allah. Even if you're facing in a different direction. Even if your back is to yes. the west, yes, 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 exactly. Okay, so that, that's the law. It's, it's a short piece of gemara, but it's a very uh, <laughs> okay. Exactly, gemara. Um, tells a story. Who gavra? There was a person, the kamatzla chayde beknishtu, davened on the other side of the shul. The mahad apple and kishna didn't face the shul. Cholof elio. As Elio passed by, some say that Elio himself appeared to him like uh, like uh, an Arabian. You're making two domains before your master. Everyone is davening in one direction, and you're turning your back to the shul, and you're davening in another direction. Shul of Safsara, he took out his sword of and he killed him. Um, he deserved to die. There is a Rasha. He's showing such disrespect. Um, the rabbi said, What does the verse mean? In, um, in, in Tehillim, capital Yudbeis, things that reach the heights of heaven, which are prayers, prayers that reach the height of heaven. And people are light, light, go about it in a very light way. They don't take it seriously. It's Zulus. It's cheap in their eyes. They don't give it the proper attention. 
That's what I mean. The prayer, which is so important and could reach the high, the heights of heights, and people they don't pay attention to it. They don't take it seriously. They don't even know the meaning of the prayer. When a person needs, has to, is dependent on another human being, his face turns red, like a krum, which is um, the color red. But if you're dependent on other people, then your face turns, you're ashamed, you're embarrassed that you have to come, you need and dependent on another person. My krum. There is a one bird in the in the islands. There, and his name is Krum. When the sun shines, it turns into different colors. Your face turns into colors. You're so ashamed. When you're ashamed, your face turns turns into colors. It's as if you were sentenced to two, to do, to two, uh, to two sentences. Eish of mine, fire and water. Enish means if I if, if someone if I owe someone money and he's pressing me and he's demanding me to pay and I can't pay him. So it's as if I came fire and water, which is red and white. Your face turns red and white. Mm-hmm. of shame of embarrassment because you, you don't have the money to pay another thing another thing another thing person should always be careful with the, with the davening of Mincha was answered the miracle that happened in Mount Carmel happened with the, with the, by the prayer of Mincha when it came time to Mincha the whole miracle happened he says Aneni Hashem Aneni Answer me, Shatayda, they should not mind the fires come down from the heaven. He said twice on them. By Nani, and answer me, shall I remember my six shafam? No one should say, oh, he did it by magic. That it was, it should be clear that it was the hand of Hashem. So what does it mean? Why is it so special? What's so special about Mincha? Because Mincha is a time, morning is the mark. It has a very clear delineation. Wake up in the morning. There's no distractions. As you said, we should daven right away. We should say it as soon as we wake up, we daven. So it's easy to daven shakas. Evening, your day is winding down. It's easy to daven shakas. Mincha is right in the smack of the day. It's right in the heat of the day. You're in the middle of business. You're in the middle of your career. So to be able to tear yourself away, to be able to daven mincha, that's something so special. That's something that sparkles and illuminates, and that's why it's so powerful, and that's why Mincha is very short. You don't need a long prayer. The fact that you can tear yourself away in the middle of business and Daven Mincha, that's why this prayer is a very special prayer, and you have to be very careful about it. Then the Gemara says, um, Rabbi Echnam, Apatulus, Apatulus, have to be careful with the good evening service. Then it says, Tikrin, Tilasi, Ketavis, Lefanecha. Fear your prayer, Ketavis, Lefanecha. It should be like Torahs, Masas, Kapay, Minchas, Oren. Prayer, this refers to the evening prayer. Why? Because what's the last thing that happens in the temple? After the afternoon sacrifice, which is the last sacrifice, then they would offer the incense. The incense comes after, at the end. And then you burnt over the, the, the Mincha, the flower offering. That's when you burn the flower offering of the afternoon sacrifice was, was burnt so this comes after Mincha, so it's referring to the prayer that follows Mincha. So you should tikkun, you should, you should prepare it, you should be very careful about it. Even the morning prayer, it says, It says twice morning. 
you should listen to my voice, and I wait, and I prepare myself, and I wait. But this refers to the, uh, um, to, to the service that begins even before the, after, the, morning, the morning sacrifice. So it's referring to the first thing, the first thing that we do in the morning, which is the, uh, should be the morning, the morning sacrifice. Whoever comes to a wedding, doesn't say you have to go to every wedding, but if you come to the wedding, you don't rejoice, you don't dance, you don't bring joy to the chasm and kala, you violate the chamisha, five voices. It says, we're talking about in the future when Mashiach will come, Jeremiah describes when Mashiach will come, we're going to hear the voice of joy and the voice of Chasen and Kala. And in those verses, it says five times koil. And we learned earlier that the main joy of a wedding, the main reward of a wedding, comes from saying words. And we know that words, words come from sounds, which is just a uh, indecipherable sound that's broken up into words and letters by the five different families of that causes the different sounds of the letters from the from the throat from 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 the the, the teeth the lips the the uh, uh, the, the uh, tongue so therefore the five voices and this is what uh, you bring to the uh, this is how you bring joy to the um, to the chasna kalas so however so if you don't bring joy to them, you violated these five voices. If you do bring joy to him, what's the reward? You merit. Taita was also given with five voices. And the third day, in the morning, it's referring to the giving of the Taita. There were thunder and lightning. And a heavy, heavy cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the shofar. Five times it says the coil. So we juxtapose. And the giving of the Torah was the marriage of the Jewish people in Hashem. So if you help bring about the marriage of and, and you, bring, you celebrate and participate and you bring joy to the chas and the to this marriage, you merit to the five voices of the Torah. There's a sixth time, there's a sixth voice. says that they saw the voice, the miracle by the giving of the Torah, they were able to see what they usually hear, they were able to see, and what they usually see, we're able to, what you able, we usually hear, you're able to see, what you're able to see, usually you heard. says, those voices that they saw, the that happened before the giving of the Torah. But the giving of the Torah itself, there it's only, it says five voices. It's as if you've offered a thanksgiving offering. It says, You bring the thanksgiving offering to the house of Hashem. In, in those verses, the continuation of those verses, where it says the five voices, where in association with the Chasen and Kala, it says, You're bringing a thanksgiving. That alone that you bring joy to the Chasen and Kala is as if you're bringing, offering a thanksgiving sacrifice to Hashem. It's as if you rebuild one of the destruct, destroyed um, structures of Jerusalem. Also, a continuation there. After he mentions the five voices of the, and associated with the Chasen and Kala, he says, I will return return the earth to the land like it was in the beginning so it's as if you're rebuilding one of the destructions of Yerushalayim because by building the family you're rebuilding actually the Jewish people and you're rebuilding Yerushalayim whoever has a fear of God his words are heard that someone who fears God his words are heard 
you know, the Rebbe used to say sometimes, he says, you know, I say things and if my words are ineffective and don't affect any change within us, so you, could, you must say, the Rebbe says, that I don't have a Yiddish Mayim, because if I had Yiddish Mayim, it says clearly, whoever has Yiddish Mayim, his words are heard. So when I say something and it falls on deaf ears and it doesn't move anyone to change, to do anything about it, so it says whoever has Yiddish Mayim, his, his, his words are heard. Mike is What does it mean? This is the whole person. Hashem says, The whole world was created for this person. The person who fears Hashem, the whole world is just a means to an end. What is the end? The end is this Jew gets it, and this Jew has fear of Hashem. He is the whole purpose of creation. That's why Hashem created the world. Everything else is just a means to an end. He's the equivalent of the whole entire world. You know, the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Isilish, used to write, this, this, is, this is the custom of the world. Rabbi Moshe Isilish lived in Krakow. He probably never left his four cubits. This is the way the world acts. What do you mean, this is the way the world acts? He, he did a survey, he went around the world and checked how the world acts. But he is the world. Of this, this is, he is the equivalent to the whole world. If this is the way he acts, this is the way the world acts. The whole world was here to help him. The whole world has a merit. When the whole world is here to help him, a person needs civilization, as Maimonides explains. A person needs people, he needs uh, social life, he needs... So the whole, the whole world, by helping him, by creating a civilization and creating, be able to help him, he needs his milk and he needs whatever he needs to, to live. So they have a part in his, in his service of Hashem. So this is a higher level. Whoever knows that your friend always gives you, says, greets you. Every morning he greets you. You should greet him first. And Emmer says, Seek out peace without failure. Chase after them. Don't wait till he, he greets you. Anticipate it and greet him first. And if he gives you, he greets you. And you don't respond. You're a thief. You're a robber. Why, if you stole, why is it called the theft of a poor person? Even if you steal from a rich person, you're not allowed to rob a rich person. Only a poor person not to rob from. But the answer is the poor person has nothing to give. He owns nothing. The one thing that he has is he can give you a smile. He can greet you. You're taking that away from him. You're robbing him of the only thing he has to give. He has nothing to give, but he, all he can give you is friendship and a smile. And you don't even respond to that. You've robbed him. So this is a type of robbery which only affects the poor person. The rich person has other things to give, but this is all the poor person has to give. So don't deprive him of that opportunity that he feels that he's a giver, that he has something to give to you, to contribute by smiling and being friendly and saying hello to you. So respond to him and appreciate it. There are some people that, at least in my life, that they like to reach out to me first to say good morning. And I know if I say good morning first, I took something away from them from being first. So on purpose, I don't just say, you know, an interesting thing. uh, The same concept. No, no, so I'm not running to greet them first because I know it's important for them to say, you know, something like that. Maybe it's like the poor person. I always respond. I'm not robbing anybody.